This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is sponsored by Tor Books and the much-acclaimed viral sensation from Olivia Blake, The Atlas Six, now newly revised and edited with additional content. The Alexandrian Society is the foremost secret society of magical academicians in the world. Those who earn a place among the Alexandrians will secure a life of prestige beyond their wildest dreams, and each decade only the six most uniquely talented magicians are selected to be considered for initiation. When the candidates are recruited by the mysterious Atlas Blakely, they are told they will have one year to qualify for initiation. Five, they are told, will be initiated. One will be eliminated. The Atlas Six is the first in a spellbinding trilogy whose characters will compel you to love, hate, and lust after them. And this cinematic novel is now revised and edited with additional content. Experience the Atlas Six as the author intended with beautiful new illustrations and details to discover. Again, that's The Atlas Six by Olivia Blake from Tor Books. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 124, and we are recording on March 4th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about award-winning short fiction. Yes, we are indeed. And I'm very glad because I love short fiction more and more and more every year. Yes. Yeah. Well, and this also, I think this came up when we were talking about some of the awards lists that have been recently announced. I was like, I haven't read any of the novellas and short stories from last year. Like, I don't know what happened to me. I just didn't read any. Yeah. (laughs) Going back through the list to do some homework for this, I realized how few of those stories I read and got to sort of catch up a little bit, which felt good yeah. in a world of yes. not being able to catch up ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've never caught up on anything these days. Yeah. Um, but this was very satisfying and very achievable. So. Yeah. <laughs> Hugely important in these times. <laughs> yeah. I know. We need we need achievable milestones, y'all. So we're here to tell you short fiction can be that. Yep. Um, Let's see, before we get into all of the things we want to talk about today, a quick heads up for you listeners. We are in the midst of doing a big platform switchover for all of our podcasts. You should not notice... If all goes as planned, you won't even know. But if something gets wonky with your feed, that's probably why you should be able to easily resubscribe if for some reason you get unsubscribed. Um, if something is even wonkier than that, shoot us an email and we'll help you fix it. But it should, again, you should not even know, theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> and kudos to you for making that huge migration. That is a no joke. So, Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into our news, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, which is The Lost Dreamer by Liz Huerta with Fierce Reads, a stunning novel inspired by ancient Meso- Mesoamerica 
This gripping debut introduces us to a lineage of seers defiantly resisting the shifting patriarchal state that would see them destroyed. Perfect for fans of Tomi Adeyemi and Sabah Tahir with a detailed, supernaturally charged setting and topical themes of patriarchal power and female strength, The Lost Dreamer brings an ancient world to life mirroring the challenges of our modern one. So again, this book is very in line with a lot of stuff our readers and we personally love with the female strength theme. And also, I think this is really cool that it's inspired by ancient Mesoamerica and has that supernatural feel. The Lost Dreamer brings an ancient world to life and it was described as a glorious as glorious world building and powerful leads that make this a can't miss read from BuzzFeed. So this one is actually on my personal TBR before I even knew this was a sponsor. So I'm really excited to read it. Again, that was The Lost Dreamer by Liz Huerta with Fierce Reads. All right. Yeah. Very nice. I am excited to talk about, while we're talking about award-winning fiction. Yes. Let's start off our news segment with the Bram Stoker Awards finalists. I, well, obviously, longtime <laughs> listeners will know, I don't read a lot of horror. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not my favorite genre, but I do try to pay attention because every now and then there is one that works for me. I just There's no genre that you can't find a book that works for you. I'm firmly convinced that that's true. Um, so I do keep an eye on them, and the... 2021 awards, meaning therefore fiction published in 2021. Uh, the final ballot has just been announced somewhat recently. And some of these names I know, uh, Stephen Graham Jones, our beloved Stephen Graham Jones is on yes. here, Grady Hendrix, Chuck Wendig. There are also some new names that I have not seen before. So I was excited to see that. I was also excited to see the graphic novel category because horror graphic novels are actually, I forget sometimes how much I enjoy horror graphic novels, which sounds like it would be, yeah, it sounds unlikely because like, why would drawings of the things I can't read about be easier for me? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to tell you, except that I have read a fair amount of horror graphic novels that I really liked. So I'm going to be looking at those. Also, I saw Kendar Blake is in the, um, YA category and I love Blake's work. Cassandra Kaw is in yes. here. Uh, so there's a lot of great names. I mean you are obviously much more familiar with the genre. D- did anything jump out to you about this list? I was going to say it's funny because I started, I just started really getting into horror again after a bit of a break from it because I was focusing so much on you know science fiction and fantasy that didn't mm. have, that had dark elements but weren't actually horror uh but right. i'm just catching up and cassandra call was one of the names that jumped out at me because that book nothing but black and teeth was like everywhere for a while yeah. when it came out probably because it's like one of the most horrifying covers i have ever seen oh in my, my god life. <laughs> yeah so scary <laughs> but the thing that made me laugh was like of all the this is a huge list of books mm-hmm. and the one that jumped out at me was the screenplay award because i recently watched Jordan Peele's uh, reboot of Candyman, which... Oh, God. It was, yeah, is gruesome. Mm. I remember the original Candyman, which I watched as a child. 
No. Um, and this one was way more gruesome, truly terrifying, stuck with me. So I I love that this is one of those awards where you get like a p- pretty big scope of you know, media. Um, But it's really a great list for me, especially as somebody who is reigniting her passion for horror to have this like Mm. great list of, you know, potentially award-winning books um, to choose from and to put on my TBR. So I'm glad you, you talked about this one today. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely an interesting list. It also seems very diverse. It's nice to see because you know horror was so white for so long, for so long, yeah, so long, and it's really encouraging to see so many, um, so much inclusive nominating going on. So that's delightful. Yes, co-sign that. Well, I'm going to talk about, we were just talking about graphic novels, so I'm going to segue into my graphic novel news of the day, which I sort of had to read this one twice because there was a part (laughs) of me that thought that this was like, oh, you know, it's just a graphic novel. But so Nerdist, uh, Nerdist Rotem Rusak reported on Hayao Miyazaki's graphic novel that he wrote that I did not know anything about. I didn't know this existed. (laughs) And so this is the first time I'm hearing about it. And luckily for me, I'm hearing about it because it's getting an English translation. So I didn't have to pine after it, realizing (laughs) that I could not read it unless I decided to pick up um, some Japanese language classes, which Mm. considering my... uh, my workload probably wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so I'm really excited about this. Um, and they talk a little bit about what to expect from this graphic novel that's coming out later this year in November. And there was a lot of the translator, Alex Dudok DeWitt, was tweeting about this and was super enthusiastic and excited about um, announcing the news and talking a little bit about what this graphic novel looks like. So firstly, this was written way back in 1983 uh, by Hay- Hayao Miyazaki, who, you know, did Spirit Away and all of the Studio Ghibli productions um, and also Nausicaa, which was one of my favorite Studio Ghibli movies and which it turns out has some thematic uh, similarities with this new book, which is called Shuna's Journey, um, or rather new graphic novel translation, to be more specific. So there's a bunch of stuff in here that is just, I think for any Miyazaki fan, is just going to amp you up for the release of this graphic novel because it sounds like it has everything you know and love about Miyazaki stories and art and this isn't so much manga um, as a translator makes a note of it's more like an illustrated story and I didn't know this word before and I'm I hope I don't say it wrong but it's emonogatari is what um, it's more specifically categorized rather than manga which is where my immediate um, thoughts went to so it's got Lots of illustrations, and it sounds like you're getting, like, big, detailed, beautiful illustrations so you don't have to, like, peer at panels or anything, which I also love to do. But mm. it 
um, the translator mentioned that the graphic novel prefigures other films, Studio Ghibli films like Princess Mononoke, which is another huge favorite, and Tales from Earthsea, which was, of course, inspired by Ursula K. Le Guin's Wizard of Earthsea. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm looking at some of the sample images that were left in the tweets and they look beautiful and just like the, um, the visuals you get from the animated movies, their watercolor. It's just beautiful. And I'm really excited about this story about a young boy who goes on a journey, uh, the prince of a poor land going on this journey to find the source of this golden grain he comes across to help his people and meeting a girl named Thea who's escaping from captivity. And it's like one of those, it sounds like it's going to be one of those bittersweet, heart-wrenching stories mm. that that I just love from Studio Ghibli. So uh, big news, I guess, for Miyazaki fans like myself. And I'm happy to be reading a graphic novel in translation in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, this is, I'm excited about this as well. And I know several diehard Miyazaki fans. I'm going to text as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> so I was glad that you put this on the agenda. I'm a little bit cracking up over this one tweet from the translator, Do It, who says, it's a really beautiful story, strange even by Miyazaki's standards. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, wow. Okay, so like, because, hmm. you know, the baseline is pretty strange. Yes. So, so even stranger. And I was, I was really, I do, I'm going to have to read this now because I did not love the Miyazaki interpretation of Tales from Earthsea, mostly because it felt like it had almost nothing to do with the Le Guin books. But there's yes. a note in here that... Tales from Earthsea was that movie was based in part on Shuna's journey, which is obviously not written by Ursula Le Guin. So that I'm hoping that that will help shed some light for me on that particular movie. And like mm -hmm. it will make it make more sense because it really did not make sense to me when I watched it. Like even beyond the normal like Miyazaki dream logic, I was just like, I don't understand what's happening. So <laughs> I am yeah. also excited for this for, for many reasons. Um, so it looks like that releases on November 1st and you can pre-order it now. Just saying. Yes, I will be. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about, well, we're, we are in comics land today, aren't we? A we are. Bit? I didn't talk realize. about this new book. Yeah, me neither. Accidental theme. Um, so there's this new book. I just read the big EW uh, Entertainment Weekly exclusive on it, um, reported by Christian Holub. This just was published a day or two ago at the time of recording. And there is a book coming that is called My Superhero is Black by Angelique Roche and John Jennings. John Jennings, we are huge fans of <laughs> over here. Um, and Angelique Roche's name is familiar to me as well. And this is a book about the history of Black superhero characters in Marvel specifically. So, you know, obviously Black Panther is extremely well known these days. And we have a Black Captain America and Sam Wilson and Isaiah Bradley. Um, Moon Girl, I cannot wait for that animated <gasps> series. I'm yes. so excited about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. So, like, obviously, you know, Black superhero 
superheroes are having a moment now, but they've been around for a hot minute. Like they've been around for a while. And I I was looking at this cover and I was like, how many of these superheroes can I name? And I, I was less than half. So or maybe right around half. So I'm excited to discover characters that I don't already know. And also to like, you know, they're going to tie it into... Um, you know, from the margins to the mainstream mm-hmm. and the creators who were involved and, you know, looking at them in terms of the culture and politics of the United States. Like, I, I love a look situating fictional characters in sort of that con- that la- larger context. So I'm really yeah. excited uh, to dive into this book, which also comes out in the fall, comes out on October 11th. I will be pre- pre-ordering this as well. Yeah, this is really great. I think that I'm really excited about this because I remember that for a time there was so much news about like comic books with uh, characters of color and uh, somewhat specifically black characters not being popular enough for comics, um, Mm. comic companies to keep around, which was like, you know, lots of opinions about that. And it felt like it was such a struggle sometimes to get these characters to the forefront, get their stories published. And I'm just glad that there's something coming out that really celebrates them and puts them in the spotlight. And, you know, we've got Black Panther and all of these fantastic, fantastic characters. I also am going to be, I'm sure, introduced to a lot of them because I've not been keeping up with superhero comics as much in recent days. So I'm also excited about this one. Yeah, looks looks beautiful. It does. And as a segue, (laughs) the story talks about Octavia Butler's kindred graphic novel adaptation. And my last story for news is actually this wonderful feature that comes from USA Today and is written by Rasha Ali. And it's just, you know, we talk about Octavia Butler a lot, so... There's probably there are aspects of her life and her legacy that are probably not new to a lot of our listeners. But I just thought that this was a great short encapsulation of her life and legacy and how much of an impact she had. And she personally and her writing had on a lot of really great authors that we love today Nisi Shawl and Nettie Okorafor. So many people. Mm. There are just so many people listed here. N.K. Jemison, um. Like, just to read about their comments about how um, Octavia Butler's work impacted them and their own writing was amazing to mm. read about. And they talked about some of the themes that were written into her books a while back. I know we've talked about some of um, the parable of the sower themes from from those books that are really timely and relate to a lot of stuff we've seen in recent years um, in the headlines in our lives. And there are some comments in here that are sort of like, you know, I hope that... 
the world never has to experience the things I write about from Octavia Butler that were like, I wish that was true, Octavia, but I just like, I just wanted to leave this for everybody to read because if you've been wanting to learn more about Octavia Butler and maybe felt overwhelmed because there's so much information out there and because Mm. there are so many books, I think that this is a, a good starting place to just get familiarized with why she's talked about so much, why she's lauded and and to just get to know her her um like what compelled her to write in the first place because they talk about that mm. a little too. So, I just thought it was nice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, it's a great piece. It definitely touches on all the high points and, you know, the Nisi Shawl quotes in particular are so good. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I highly recommend even if you even if you already know about Butler, there's some stuff in here. I was like, I'm going to know everything in here. There's some stuff that was new (laughs) to me. So whether or not you know everything there is to know about Octavia Butler, you should read it. Yes. All right. Well, that concludes our news section. Let's hear from another sponsor and then we'll get into our award-winning short fiction picks. Uh, So our next sponsor is Aftershock Comics and this is Campisi, The Dragon Incident by James Patrick and Marco Locati. And This is about Sonny Campisi, a small-time fixer for the mob-controlled neighborhood of Green Village. If you don't pay your gambling debt, he'll come and collect. If you get a little rough with one of the girls, he gets a little rough with you. But when a dragon flies into town and Sonny is the one who's tasked with getting rid of it, it's a problem unlike any he's ever faced. And a chain of events begins that will affect everyone who lives in that neighborhood, especially Sonny. So this is a comedy thriller, one part Get Shorty, one part Dragon Slayer, which is a combination I have not seen done before. So that's cool. (laughs) And James Patrick is also the writer of Kaiju Score, if you're familiar with that. And this volume contains the entire four-issue series, so it is complete. And again, that's Campisi, The Dragon Incident by James Patrick and Marco Locat. And uh, yeah, this comes from Aftershocks Comics. Awesome. Love a love a crime fantasy combo. Yeah, and it con- concludes our comics. Yes, that's right. That's right. We really are like in a weird uh, synchronicity today. We are. I like it. I like it. Mm -hmm. Well, now we get to talk about some award winning uh, SFF. And I, I think it's so funny that after talking about how I'm just getting into horror now, it feels very predictable that for my first <laughs> pick, I chose a horror fantasy or speculative horror piece. But that's what I that's that's what I love, and that's what I got. So this is <laughs> this is speculative horror set in contemporary New York, and. I urge you not to do what I did and read this story over lunch. It was not a good idea. Yeah. And I will say that it is short enough to read during a work break. It's got a lot packed into it, which is fantastic. But it is also like super short, which is what we're talking about today in general. So this is Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers by Alyssa Wong. And I do want to note that the story 
may be triggering for disordered eating. Uh, and there's a link to the story online, which is going to be in the show notes, and you can read it over at Nightmare Magazine. Uh, it was also published in the 2015 Queers Destroy Horrors special edition of Nightmare Magazine. Super cool. And Wong won the 2015 Nebula Award for Best Short Story and the 2016 World Fantasy Award for Short Fiction with this one. So it won a couple of awards. So I love, love, love horror of all types, but I especially love speculative horror. And this one really had all of the things I like. Um, another predictable aspect of the story for somebody like me who has talked about the books I loved on this show a lot. Complicated Women was a big one. Some of them more villainous than others. There's also dysfunctional family and bad men being taken down. So this is truly in my wheelhouse. And the part that was a bit hard about reading it was the relationship, Jen, our main character, not co-host Jen, but the relationship <laughs> she had with food and hunger. That was the horror element of this story. So Jen is ravenous. Well, actually, she's simply hungry at first, and then she becomes ravenous later. And that's when it gets really frightening. And this is a kind of hunger where pastries or sushi or noodles alone will not do. She craves something else entirely, something she occasionally gets from the countless Tinder dates she suffers through. And then there's Aiko, who's sweet and thoughtful and who always shows up for her friend Jen even though Jen cannot and will not get close to her because Jen needs to protect her secret from Aiko and she needs to protect Aiko from the hunger. And the story was downright disturbing and I was <laughs> gripped from start to finish. Everything was so visceral and dark and devious. It made me want to read more of Wong's work and I know she's a name that's out there Um I've seen her her commentary on Twitter, and she's written for a lot of other anthologies. So she has a lot of short stories for you to dive into. So some of the anthologies you might recognize include The Devil in the Deep, Horror Stories of the Sea, that was edited by Ellen Datlow, who's won a lot of awards for anthology editing, by the way. Um, also, A Thousand Beginnings and Endings, 15 Retellings of Asia Asian Myths and Legends, edited by Ellen O. and Elsie Chapman, as well as a recent one that I had wanted to pick up, Robots vs. Fairies, edited by Dominic Parisian and Nava Wolf. And her stories have won the Nebula Award, the World Fantasy Award, and the Locus Award. So she's out there. She's got a lot going on. And this book is like a great encapsulation of what a great writer she is and how much she is able to accomplish within the confines of a short story. So Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers definitely felt like a horror story for the millennials, which is mm. fine by me, an elder millennial. And <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And there was a twinge of the horrors of online dating in there, speaking both to the actual dangerous side of meeting up with strangers, as well as just the day-to-day -day banality of it all mm. um, that I think might resonate with a lot of people. 
And Jen's internal dialogue during the moments when she's not focused on the hunger is just absolutely on point. She felt like a true, like she felt like a real character, like somebody I might know, even though she was also, she had this really monstrous, terrifying side. The humanity moments were very familiar. They felt very much cut from life. So I thought that that was fantastic. And this is, I think, a great read for fellow lovers of contemporary horror. So again, that was Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers by Alyssa Wong. I will not be reading that, but it sounds great. (laughs) Definitely do not. (laughs) Nope, I shan't. I shan't. Uh, Let's see. Okay, so my fantasy pick is a really beautiful, bittersweet short story that won the 2021 Nomo Award for Mm. a short story. Well, it was tied. It was a tie. And this is Rat and Finch Are Friends by Innocent Chisarum Ilo. Um, And this, I just as a reminder, the Nomo Awards are administered by the African Speculative Fiction Society. So This is one of those awards that I pay attention to because I'm always trying to read more internationally, more broadly, more inclusively, and this is a great one to start with. Mm -hmm. And this story, man, it just punched me in the heart, can I just say. The title is a reference to Frog and Toad, which was already like... And then uh, it is narrated by... Oh, right. So content warnings before I get into Mm. it. Content warning for homophobia. So the main characters are Izu and Oku, or Finch and Rat, and they meet at a boarding school, and they have this, like, sort of oppositional, it's not like a perfect, you know, friend meeting, um, but, and the story doesn't take place in linear time, so by the, when the story starts, you are finding out sort of what has already happened to them, but I'm sort of reversing here. So they get to be friends, and they find out that they both share the ability to shapeshift into a finch and a rat, as you might guess from the title. They also become a little bit more than friends, and that is absolutely not acceptable to the adults in their lives. Um, They are found out, and the consequences of that are what the story is about. And it is so evocative of that feeling of being you know, of coming of age and being in school, especially starting in a new school, trying to figure out where you fit, having this secret. Um, our narrator, Izu, is told that nobody can know about this shape-shifting ability. It's been passed down from their family. They've been ostracized in the past. Nobody's actually supposed to have it. Um, but his father talks to him about it and says, like, you know, just keep it on the down low. Like, I actually can do this too, but we don't, we don't talk about it. Um, so for these two to find each other in so many different ways is so beautiful and then of course when society steps in and ruins what is beautiful that's hard but it is a really beautifully done I keep saying the word beautiful it's beautiful it's a beautiful story <laughs> it's, a good word. it's really well done it has a really lovely ending and I just I love the style it's got that really excellent simplicity of prose that feels really true to the voice of the character 
and just lays it all out so matter-of-factly that I think really heightens the emotion in it. And ugh, I just, no, I just really, I really, I can see why why it was tied for a winner. It was really, really good. And that is available to read for free on the Strange Horizons website. I'm going to include a link in the show notes. Um, definitely, definitely recommend it is. Oh, so good. So good. Wow, I I was getting like a little choked up just hearing yeah. about it. <laughs> it definitely made me emotional. I was not really prepared for how emotional I was going to feel about that oh. story. Ooh, Ooh, I'm going to read that feelings. one. Feelings. Yes. <laughs> well, my science fiction pick is less uh, heartbreaking, almost a little funny. I will call it funny because I think it is. So... Mm. This is a novelette from N.K. Jemison. I don't read a lot of novelettes. I was really excited to read one by Jemison because obviously I love her work. Mm -hmm. And it's called Emergency Skin. And I had heard about this book a while back, but it was just one of those books or titles that um, came across my path and then kind of went away because I was thinking about all sorts of other things. So this one won the 2020 Hugo Award and the 2020 Ignite Award for the novelette category. And it was so good and so unexpected, I think, from for me, at least, from N.K. Jemison. And I loved that it surprised me in a lot of ways. So the tale is narrated by a sort of implanted intelligence technology and this technology is a companion to our guide on a mission to tell us which is as the intelligence tells the soldier who's this main character of the story Telus is a ruined planet. The founders of the soldier's planet fled a very, very long time ago. So the soldier's been sent to collect this these important specimens for the founders with the promise of a kind of rare reward in return for a successful mission. Only, of course, things don't go quite right. So when the soldier arrives on Telus and sees what it is and meets its people, all sorts of questions come up. And there's not a lot I can say about Telus because I don't want to give things away. But the questions that the soldier has for the intelligence technology are very much unwelcome. And there is a lot of sort of, you never hear the soldier because the soldier's internal voice is this intelligence, which is this sort of weird, clever device. So you're only hearing the intelligence's response, but you don't hear the question, but you can figure out the question from the response, if that makes sense. So it's really... It does, and I'm very intrigued now. It's super interesting, and this is part of that that sort of dialogue that's happening the internal dialogue is kind of what makes this like funny and quippy i also read with the ebook i got the um audio edition so the voice of the intelligence device is this very like stodgy sounding british narrator uh, <laughs> which is totally fitting and there's a lot of like affronted 
uh, tone, <laughs> which is fantastic. So if you if you like reading audiobooks, I definitely recommend uh, getting the audio version of this. But there's a lot of personal affront and outrage about these questions that are being asked by the soldier who's reacting to the unexpected turn the mission is taking and the expectations the soldier had based on everything this person has come to learn and think about TELUS. So that's as much as I can say about the plot. But what I can add to that is that this was just a really interesting and clever way to tell a story that confronts a lot of the problems of today's world. So the systemic problems and extremism and oppressive traditionalism, all of the things that we are becoming increasingly aware are holding society back and destroying our planet. So there's a warning for racism and homophobia in this story. There, It also confronts classism and capitalism, like the whole shebang, in a very short story. Mm. And so the book does explicitly confront these harmful viewpoints. You hear them by way of this intelligence device who has lots of opinions that are very irritating and <laughs> are very specific types of viewpoints. And that said, the thing is, this novelette really didn't feel like a heavy read, which was kind of miraculous. When I mm. finished it, I was like, this confronted a lot of stuff that feels really heavy. But I was like chuckling at the ridiculousness of the intelligence device the whole way through. Jemison like really does a great job of injecting that satirical cutting humor that I personally love. And I mm. will also say that this was a hopeful book, even when you consider that this is a story about a world that's seen destruction and the tragic outcomes we fear for our planet and people. There's this strong streak of empowerment in the story. And I kind of felt energized by it, especially after reading so many bleaker reads recently. Mm. It felt really good to get this story. And yeah, it just made a real clown of bigotry and rightfully so. And I thought that the surprise for me was that sort of sense of humor. Not that I didn't think Jemison was capable of it because she's capable of so much when it comes to writing, but it wasn't something I'd come across a lot of with her work. So I yeah. love, yeah, it was, it was really cool to see and to see the versatility showcased in her writing and so I, I should say that if you did love the Broken Earth trilogy, this does not have that same tone, but it is as deftly written, thoughtful, and you get this utopian and dystopian story neatly tied together, which is a, a type of story I did not know I needed, but I need more of that. Like having that contrast mm. and the hopefulness that can come from it without like uh, taking away the reality of what could be if we don't really take a, a careful and close look and act on some of the problems we see in our world today. I thought that that was really, really great and made me feel uh, 
a certain way. It made me feel really empowered mm. and energized. So uh, this is Emergency Skin is part of Amazon Original Stories Forward collection. It's curated by Blake Crouch, who's the author of Dark Matter. And it features six stories that look ahead to the future. So um, if you're looking for it, that is where it is. Of course, we'll have a link to it. And again, that's Emergency Skin by N.K. Jemison, who continues to write amazing stories and collect all of the awards. <laughs> yes, I love the sound of that. I somehow missed hearing about this. So I'm really excited yeah. to pick it up. And I agree. There are certainly funny moments in her books to mm-hmm. date and stories, but like I wouldn't necessarily refer to them as comedic in the way that it sounds like this is a comedic story. So that's that's exciting. I love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's got so much range. It's not surprising, but it's very cool to see. Yeah, I I'm just like... She she can do it all in my, as far as yeah, I'm she can. <laughs> it's, it's amazing and unfair to the rest of humanity. Yep. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she works really hard, so she deserves all the accolades she gets. Uh, okay, let's see. So my sci-fi pick, actually, another unintentional theme is about two artificial intelligences. Uh-huh. So there we go. I know. Surprise. <laughs> uh, it is called Metal Like Blood in the Dark, and it is by T. Kingfisher, who has come up repeatedly on the show, but who I have never read. This was my first T. Kingfisher. Yay! I'm so excited. Yeah, I know. And it was great. So that was good. (laughs) That went well. Um, It is also the 2021 Hugo Award winner for Short Story. It was published in Uncanny Magazine, and you can read it for free online because sci-fi magazines are great like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there will be a link in the show notes. And this is this was such an interesting read because it is science fiction, but it is told as if it were a fable. Like it literally opens with once upon a time. So mm. it's a really interesting juxtaposition, I think, of a traditionally more fantasy form of storytelling with technology. Hmm. which is super cool. I like that. And it is about these two machines who are sentient and they are named brother and sister. They were created by this like very kindly seeming uh, inventor and they have like nanobots so they can, you know, rebuild themselves. They can learn. Um, They're on this planet that has been pretty tapped out in resources wise. So they're very used to like making do. And And you find out, you know, sort of a little bit about their lives, which are like very peaceful, but like sort of, you know, just like it's it's feels like kids playing in the yard, but Mm. except that they're AI machines (laughs) who are like, I don't even know. Um, But then the day comes when their inventor needs medical assistance and has to reach out to the outside world. And because we're sort of in the third person subjective, uh, mostly in sister's head, um, she doesn't really understand why they're so she doesn't even realize that they're cut off from the rest of the world in the first place. She doesn't really understand why. And so you get this sort of slow dawning of an understanding of what it means to interact with the rest of the universe in these very incremental ways, which is beautifully done. Um, And then they come into contact with another AI, which is not so benevolent. Mm -hmm. And it is very much about Sister's journey of broadening her perspective and like, how do you learn what a lie is? 
if you've never encountered one before mm. and you are a machine who everything has to have a logical reason behind it right like you're a mach- you're machine learning which is based on logic so like how do you parse a lie how do you parse trust how do you parse love like these are the big questions that i feel like get asked often in discussions of artificial intelligence but the way kingfisher does it here is not something i have read before and i just really Oh, I really loved it. It's just that it's like it feels really quiet and really insightful and yeah. really triumphant at the end in a in a very heartwarming way. It's actually really heartwarming. Oh, well, I love that. Which is like another weird thing to say about like a story about artificial intelligence. But here we are. It's a great, it, it's great. it it warms their metal hearts. Their AI. Yeah, heart. it does. It warms and my metal heart. Yes. So, <laughs> I really did love this story. I just think it's very it's a great combination of these very disparate elements that I didn't expect to see tied together and they are, they come together so beautifully that you can't imagine why you wouldn't have expected to see them together in the first place. It's really well done. So if you're looking for something that is sci-fi but has sort of like a folklore or mythic feel to it um, and will leave you feeling good at the end, I definitely recommend Metal Like Blood in the Dark by T. Kingfisher. I'm so glad you got to read a Kingfisher story and that you enjoyed I mean, it, it was, importantly. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, it was not one of the horror ones. So <laughs> Yeah, I was about to read I, one of the horror ones, and uh, they are, it's definitely terrifying, so. Yeah, not so much with the heartwarming, <laughs> I think. So I chose wisely for myself. You did. You did. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up our review of some recent award-winning short fiction. May you all go and find some that are as pleasing to you as these have been to us. Mm-hmm. This is super fun. Um, and, and or read these and tell us what you think. Uh, so yes, and thanks also to our sound editor, Caitlin Brame, who helps to make us sound great each and every episode. Uh, if you would like more recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com and you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listening. Thank you as always for listening and for emailing us in. There's some great emails in the inbox right now. Even though we haven't responded, we're definitely reading them, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you would like to send us one and you haven't already, you can do that. SFFYeah at bookriot.com. You could also review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which will help other people to find the show. And you can find us online in between shows. Sharifa, where are you? I am on Instagram. You can find me at S Sign of Williams. That's S Z A I N A B Williams. And I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J E N N I R L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>